go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 19. I'll be reading this morning from the Christian Standard Bible, not the uh, ESV, which is what I usually use. I thought I had left it here. I had not. I had taken it home. So my normal preaching Bible is at home. So you will see that uh, very similar to what we usually read from, but slightly different, but that's okay today. Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, we will read Matthew 19, 1 through 12 today. The word of the Lord says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, Not everyone can accept this saying but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. So in this passage, we see the Pharisees coming to test Jesus. Jesus is continuing his ministry. He's departed from Galilee, and he is starting his journey towards Jerusalem, as he has foretold that he is going to Jerusalem, and he's told them what's going to happen. And one of the things that will happen is there will be these uh, increased conflicts with the Pharisees with the religious leaders and ultimately he said that that is what will lead to his death they will put him to death and so here we see that starting to ramp up the pharisees come and they test jesus and they test him about this topic of marriage and divorce and it's not hard for us to understand that there are lots of complexities lots of Uh, difficult things to think through on the topic of marriage and divorce. And so they think this will be a good test. Maybe we can get Jesus to stumble, to trip himself up, and then we will have something 
against him to accuse him of. And so they ask him the question, is it lawful to divorce for any reason, on any grounds, the Christian Standard Bible says. And so Jesus responds, and he responds by saying that marriage is built into men and women. The desire for marriage is built into male and female. It's kind of an interesting place to start. Why would Jesus start by making this statement about how men and women are created? They're asking about divorce. Uh, it seems like he's taking a very roundabout way to get there. But Jesus wants us to understand the connection here. He wants us to understand that marriage, this, as he'll refer to it, this one flesh union, really starts by the fact that we are created man and woman. That's why at the beginning of verse 5, he also said, for this reason, or I know the ESV says, therefore, he's making this connection. The reason that these one flesh unions come about is because people are created man and woman. There's something in that just being man and just being woman that leads to marriage. We have this built-in desire, this built-in uh, default, so to speak, of wanting to be married. That's how God has created humanity. That's the logic that Jesus is using in this passage. He's saying that it's not just the fact that men and women get married, but that's actually what God has built into them. He's woven it into their very fabric, so to speak. You remember in the beginning, God created Adam, and then he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so from the very beginning, God has always intended for man and woman to be joined together in marriage. He's built it into us. That's the reason marriage happens. And so we can say that part of God's design for us as men is that we desire a wife. We desire to be married. Part of God's design for women is that you desire a husband. You desire to be married. That's just built into us as human beings. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And so that in itself, that truth has implications for us, right? If God designed us for marriage, gave us a desire to be married, then it would lead us away from the idea that it's better to delay marriage, right? It's uh, unwise to purposely put off marriage. Some people want to get married, but there's no potential spouse around, right? That's not what I'm talking about here, but uh, there are some people who will date for years, and uh, they'll, they're just waiting for something to happen, waiting to get this certain job, waiting to be financially set up, right? There are people who will get engaged, but then it's an extra long engagement, right? Like two or three years. Uh, that would seem to be leaning against this design in God's uh, plan. If God designed us to desire marriage, to get married, then it would make sense that we should lean into that and not lean away from that. So that may be one implication, a truth that we can remember that we can pass on to others. But there's another implication, and we should mention it here, that God created men 
to marry women and women to marry men. Sometimes you'll hear the argument that Jesus never talked about homosexuality, that he never explicitly taught against it, that that was a teaching of someone else, but Jesus never really said that. Well, that's not true. Here we see Jesus actually teaching against it in a very clear way. And not just against homosexuality, but against other things as well. He teaches us that men were created by God to be married to women, and women were created to be married to men, and that it's not just that we should have relationships with each other, but you should be married to each other. So Jesus is teaching against homosexuality. He's not just doing that, though. He's teaching actually against the desire itself. This is something that's important to remember. Desiring something that is wrong is still wrong. It's still sinful. The desire itself is wrong. It goes against the created order, against what God has made us to be. And so we shouldn't think that it's okay to have wrong desires as long as we don't act on them. Whether that's homosexual desires or any other desire, just like any sinful desire, they may not completely go away this side of heaven, but we should not think that's okay. We should fight against the desire itself, not just the action, but the desire. Jesus is teaching God created us to desire, to to draw close to each other, man to woman and woman to man, into this one flesh union. And so when we desire, when we understand that this is built to, into us by God, then it reminds us, it gives us clarity on this topic of divorce. Remember, that's the question Jesus is answering. They asked him, is it right to be divorced for just any reason? While Jesus is setting it up, he's saying, God created us to to want to be married, to lean into that, to have that as our natural default. So why, why would we say it's okay to divorce for any reason? That's leaning against God's created order if he created us for marriage. So that's why he starts out by talking about being created as male and female. And Jesus says that being male and female is meant to lead to this one flesh union. And that's really the second answer that Jesus gives. He, at, there, he's asked about divorce, and he says, man and woman are joined together, and there's a one flesh union created. And so what is that? Simply put, that's marriage. Uh, we can see from this passage that it means a few things. It means, one, that you're physically joined to your spouse, you're intimate with each other. And that's important. Paul will bring out that point later in 1 Corinthians as an argument for why we need to be sexually pure. Because it matters who we are joined together with. That's 1 Corinthians 6. We can see from this passage that the one flesh union means that you are starting a new family unit. You leave father and mother and you're joined to your spouse. And so the implications of that are important as well that that how you interact with extended family changes at that point, how they interact with you changes as well. And it also means that it's, it's more than just physical, though. It's this commitment, this uh, holding fast is the word that Jesus uses here and is used in Genesis. They hold fast to each other. 
right? There's a commitment, there's a care that's implied by that, which is why the, the wedding vows say to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's what that is getting at, this one flesh union, this full-rounded commitment and oneness in marriage. And so marriage means you're no longer two, but you're one. It's not two people who live two separate lives, but are still living in the same house, right? You are one. It's not his money and her money. You are one. It's, it's what we were meant to be, what we're meant to draw together towards. This oneness isn't just created by a piece of paper. It's created by God. God joins man and woman together, this passage says. And so you can see how Jesus is answering this question about divorce. He says man and woman are created to desire marriage, and then they're joined in this one flesh union. That clearly has implications about divorce. Divorce is the opposite of that. It's not this drawing together, this commitment, this oneness, but it's a separation. And the, the disciples and the Pharisees, they understand what Jesus means. They understand that you should not get divorced, especially for any reason or any grounds. The, the disciples hear Jesus' teaching and they come to him and they say, well, if that's the case, if we're supposed to be married till death to his part, it's, it's easier to not get married. That's what they say here. They're just honest about it. It's easier to not get into this relationship and have to deal with someone else for the rest of your life than it is to just be single. So they, they say this to Jesus, and Jesus responds, right? He tells them that as they ask whether it's better to be single, Jesus says that not everyone can receive singleness. Not everyone can accept it. In other words, it's not built into everyone, right? Jesus has already responded about how it's built into us to desire this uh, union with others. And so not everyone has this gift of singleness. Some do for different reasons. And those who have it should not think that it's a curse from God. It is a gift from God. Jesus says that here, that singleness is something we receive from God. It's not something that is a curse on us. It's not something that makes us less than something else, someone else or defective or abnormal. Right? But God intends for us to use our gifts, whether single or married, to his glory, to advance his kingdom. And so Jesus is teaching about marriage, divorce, he even teaches about singleness with the disciples. And as he is teaching this, not only the disciples understand what he's saying, but the Pharisees understand. The Pharisees understand that Jesus is saying, no, you shouldn't get divorced for just any reason. And that's when the Pharisees think they have him. They think they have finally gotten Jesus to back himself into a corner and to make a misstep. Because they remember that, well, there's actually something in the Bible about this. That Moses wrote a instruction about what you're supposed to do when you get divorced. You're supposed to uh, give the certificate of divorce to your wife and send her away 
why is it, if you say there's no divorce, why didn't Moses write this? You're not supposed to get divorced. Moses apparently thought it was okay. So Jesus, why are you teaching something else? Well, Jesus responds, basically, and <laughs> teaches them that he's not the one that's mistaken about what Moses said. That's not really what Moses meant. It's actually them who is mistaken. Moses didn't write this as a recommendation, right, but as a concession, so to speak, against their hardness of heart. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, not recommended, but allowed you to divorce your wives. And so Jesus is saying, listen, divorce doesn't come from a piece of paper. Divorce comes from a hardness of hearts. That's what Jesus says here. That hardness of heart leads to this. That anything and everything is not a reason for divorce. Jesus does list a legitimate cause for divorce. We'll touch on that in a minute. But he's well aware that divorce happens and the reason it happens is because of this hardness of heart. Sometimes it's just one person in the relationship who has this hardness. Sometimes it's both, but Jesus says the underlying reason is a hardness of hearts. You start thinking about how you're not happy in the relationship. There hasn't been catastrophic immorality or abandonment or abuse, but you're not happy, you're unsatisfied, you want more from your marriage. Your spouse keeps getting on your nerves, and so you keep getting frustrated, and you don't want to be around them, so you start thinking about leaving. That's your heart getting hard. You start thinking about what it would be like to be single, how it would be easier, maybe even better, how it might be better to be married to someone else. That's hardness of heart starting to creep in, and Jesus says that that hardness of heart will continue and will lead to divorce. And frankly, this is why it's not surprising when non-Christians get divorced. Because the Bible says that they don't have changed hearts. The Bible describes non-Christians as having hard hearts. And so that's just one of the practical reasons why God says not to marry an unbeliever. But it also goes to show how amazing it is that God has built in this desire for marriage into everyone, not just Christians, but everyone. Because we see that not just among Christians, but among non-Christians as well. They get married and they stay married sometimes. That God's built-in design continues. But as Christians, the Bible says that we have received new hearts, right? We no longer have the heart of stone. We have the heart of flesh. And so the hardness of heart should not lead us to divorce. We should not have a hardness of heart. There are things that dissolve the union. Sexual immorality, abandonment, abuse can dissolve a marriage union. But we must work against hardness of heart in our lives and do whatever we need to in order to fight against that, to fight against those temptations, to fight against that hardness when we see those signs in our own hearts starting to happen. 
when hardness of heart starts to creep in in marriage, I think it's safe to say that there are probably things that we could work on in our relationship, right? People sin even after they're Christians. You put two people in a relationship, there are going to be things that could be better. But when that hardness of heart starts to creep in, the foundation, the fundamental thing that needs to be looked at and focused on is our relationship with Jesus. Marriage is something that we're created for. It's something that's built into us, but it's not everything that we are created for. It's not the main thing we're created for, as important as it is, right? We are created to glorify God fundamentally, that we are made to worship him, to be in relationship with him, to display him, to be satisfied by him. Our spouse is not meant to satisfy our soul or be the source of eternal joy. Only Jesus can do that. I probably don't have to tell you, but your spouse is not Jesus. So we shouldn't expect that from them. Don't expect them to do something that only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can bring that joy and satisfaction. And so ultimately, we must focus on our relationship with Jesus when we see this hardness of heart starting. We must lean into, not just lean into our marriage, but lean into Jesus. He is the one who gives us that joy and wisdom that we need and the strength to please him, to follow him wherever we're at, in our marriage, in every situation. And so one thing we need to think about with this passage, as Jesus teaches on divorce, is what are we supposed to do if you've been divorced? What do you do then? We know this passage teaches that you shouldn't divorce, that it's uh, built into us to desire marriage, to stay in a relationship, but it's up to each individual in the marriage to be committed to that. Right? Divorce can happen when one person isn't committed to the marriage. Divorce can happen when both people aren't committed to the marriage. That's not how God created things to be, but that does happen. And so what are we supposed to do when it happens to us? Two things. We see that, one, there are legitimate reasons for divorce. Jesus lists one here. He lists sexual immorality as something that breaks the union, the one flesh union we have. You are not required to be divorced if something happens in your marriage. You should seek reconciliation, but that is something that is against that union. And so we see that. We see in 1 Corinthians that when you are abandoned, especially the abandonment of an unchristian spouse to a Christian spouse, that that is a legitimate reason for divorce, something that's broken the one flesh union. I think also abuse fits into that idea of abandonment when one spouse is not willing to live with the other one in the way they're supposed to. And so abuse would also be something that dissolves that union. But these are things that actually dissolve the one flesh union and things that God says uh, divorce actually happens or you could say is permitted in those situations. So 
if you caused a divorce to happen because you sinned in one of these ways, then you should repent. You should turn back to God. You should uh, be sad that you have sinned in this way and then seek to follow God. If you have been sinned against in one of these ways, then you can be sad about your divorce. It grieves God. But you don't have to live in guilt either. That each one of us is responsible for our sin before God. And even if you didn't do everything perfect, this is something that the other person has to bear before God. And so you can move forward with that understanding. But if your divorce wasn't caused by one of these exceptions, sexual immorality, abandonment, abuse, then what are you supposed to do then? What are you supposed to do? Well, verse 9 says that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That seems clear. If you're divorced and it's not from one of these marriage-dissolving sins, then Jesus says, don't get remarried. Unless your spouse has died. We read that in, uh, in Paul's epistle. But he says, don't be remarried. Because, again, it's not just a piece of paper that dissolves a union. If all you have is a piece of paper, then in the eyes of God, nothing has happened to separate that union, to dissolve it. And so marrying, again, would, in the eyes of God, be adultery. That's what he's saying here. If one of these marriage-dissolving sins has not happened, then in his eyes, you're still in that relationship. And so, stay single. Sometimes reconciliation is possible. Sometimes it is not. But this is what Jesus is teaching here. But what if you have already remarried after your divorce? Well, simply put, you should live faithfully where you are at. That's what God is calling you to do. Learn from your past mistakes. Do better. Don't repeat them. As much as we would like to go backwards in life and redo and fix our mistakes, that is not always possible. Whenever we have sinned, however we've sinned, the Lord calls us not to dwell in sin. He calls us to turn to Him, to admit our sin, to be faithful in following Him and moving forward now. And so in all these situations, whether we've been divorced or whether we are married, marriage is meant to ultimately point us to God. That we should focus on Him, focus on how we can follow Him right now where I am at. And cause us to draw closer to Him. And really, that is what marriage is about. In marriage, we're supposed to become one with our spouse. That's what Jesus teaches here. But marriage doesn't last forever. Marriage is intended to last the time while we're here on earth. But Jesus teaches that in heaven, people aren't married or given in marriage. That's later in Matthew. In heaven, we're not joined to our spouse, but we are joined in a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is really what our marriage is supposed to teach us about now and point us to now. That's why we read this morning our scripture passage was from Ephesians 5. That is the passage where it talks about how 
the relationship between a husband and wife actually teaches us about the relationship between Jesus and the church, the relationship between Jesus and his people. The husband and wife become one in marriage. The Bible says that we are united with Christ, that there's commitment, oneness, love from Jesus to us and from us to Jesus. That's what being in a relationship with him is about, what we should seek. We should seek to please him and follow him, just like we should seek the good of our spouse in marriage. Likewise, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is why marriage is supposed to be uh, never-ending until death do us part because our relationship of God cannot be severed. He will never leave us or forsake us. Our marriage relationship is supposed to reflect that kind of commitment. A relationship with Jesus likewise teaches us how to be faithful and improve our marriage because as we learn what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, we learn more about what it means to be in a relationship with others and how we're supposed to interact with them. But a lot of times we, we fail. We fail in following Jesus. We fail in being in our marriage and living with our spouse like we should. Our marriages aren't the shining picture of Jesus' love for the church, but even when we fail in our marriage, whether that's just a subpar marriage or it's divorce, Jesus, Jesus does not stop displaying his love and commitment towards us. This is uh, one of the many joys of being in a relationship with Jesus, that when we fail, Jesus continues to love us, that he does not leave us. We receive, he receives us back when we've gone astray. He gives us grace and forgiveness when we come to him. And so we cannot mess up so bad that he will reject us, that he will send us away. But he will always receive us. And so when we learn about marriage and divorce and singleness, we're also learning about the relationship with God. And that leads us to faithfulness to him. That leads us to draw closer to him, to, to see his greatness and rejoice that he has loved us and brought us into this relationship with him. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have given us marriage as a picture of what it means to know you and be in relationship with you. God, I pray that our marriages would reflect that relationship more and more. That faithfulness and love and self-sacrifice and glorifying you would all be signs of our marriage. They would characterize our marriages so that others would see what it means to follow you, what it means to be loved by you, that we can point others to you through our marriages. God, I pray that you will give us wisdom as we think through what it means to be faithful to you where we're at in life. I pray that we will continue to move forward looking to you and holding fast to you and giving you glory. And thank you that you are always faithful 
in loving us, in taking care of us and growing us to be more like you. I pray that you will do that more in us this week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.